Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the British English Podcast, where we delve into British culture and at the same time teach you British English. For today's episode, we welcome a man called Lawrence on to talk about the cooking videos on his YouTube channel called Brilliantly British, where he focuses exclusively on British dishes. And as I'm sure you have heard of the stereotype and might even think it's true that our cuisine is rather rubbish, I wanted to test whether that really is the case. And who better to ask than a man who has dedicated a huge amount of time to making over 160 British dishes on his channel. That's right. There are at least 160 British dishes. Just a heads up as well. We talk about food a lot and Lawrence provides us with some very nice food vocabulary, many of which are surprisingly irregular in the way they are conjugated. So listen out for them. And um, since we talked so much about food, you might not want to be hungry going into this one. So grab yourself a cup of tea and maybe a slice of carrot cake and enjoy. Hello, Lawrence. How are you? Hi, Charlie. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much for being on the show. Just before we hit record, you mentioned that you, you've just popped back to the UK. Can you tell everybody yes. where you are normally residing and, and why you're back in the UK for a bit? I live in a small town called Wettingen in Switzerland, about 20 minutes away from Zurich, just to help people and give, give them some reference. Yeah, I moved there because uh, I work there as a, as a mechanical engineer. Uh, I'm just uh, popping back home to, for a few weeks just to see family, friends, and uh, just actually because I'm getting married in, in, in a few, well, in about, in about two months' time. So I'll just return to the UK to get a few things sorted wow. uh, before heading back to Switzerland. Oh, my goodness me. So I'm engaged to be married and uh congratulations yeah. thank you and congratulations to you and it makes me want to ask you a lot of questions all about weddings but i do want to ask you are you enjoying or have you enjoyed the process of planning the wedding i have to i have to be honest my my fiance has done the majority of the planning. she's <laughs> no surprises she, she's there an event, she's an event manager oh wow by, um, well she studied event management so she's very much passionate about pulling strings getting people to collaborate and work together and scheduling and things like that so she's very good at it and um and i'm more than happy to step back and just make some overarching decisions of just you know yes no you know just <laughs> things like that <laughs> very mature of you impressive to be so wise to do that yeah <laughs> and does she want to talk about it often it did every conversation we've had it has it has come up just in with with regards to what I would need to do from my side in terms of the guests that I'm going to invite, whether I've organised things on my side, just things like that. To be honest, things were organised by her in quite in a relatively short period of time. So now, as we're in the last two months or a month and a half, we're just doing the little little things like, well, I just recently got my suits sorted for myself and um, my best men 
just things like that. Yeah, that's interesting. You're going with best men rather than a best man, similar to me. Why Why are you yeah. doing that? So actually, uh, if I could correct myself, I've got a best man and then there's groomsmen. Okay. I'll have some groomsmen. Yeah. My best man will have a matching, for instance, we'll just have like a, match, a matching suit to myself. My groomsmen will have something similar, but our ties will be different, something like that. I had I went for the setup of a best man and then groomsman because uh, I, I do have very few friends but and so it was quite hard for me to really single out someone and say right you have got this honor <laughs> you've got the honor and responsibility so in the end i kind of just put them all on a level platform not to make anyone feel left out yeah good wise decision yet again okay you're two months away from getting married and you're back here to do a little bit of that or back there because I'm in Australia. Did you say that you're an engineer? Yes, I'm a mechanical engineer mechanical, by profession. Yeah. Mechanical engineer. Okay. And your YouTube channel is very far from being um, showing <laughs> that side of you. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, it's an interesting one because I, I, the, the, how it started, I guess, if my if mind's all yeah, yeah. into that, it's uh, I was doing an internship, give or take, two and a half, maybe three years ago, and I was just working with colleagues of mine who were from all over Europe. And whenever the topic of food did come up, particularly, you know, national dishes, mm. British food was just, you know, for want of a better phrase, you know, was just getting a lot of much to be desired whenever they traveled to the UK and had British food. They had nothing beyond, you know, just fish and chips or a full English breakfast. And I was always one of the, I found myself often being the person fighting in the corner of the UK, you know, just to kind of make a point that there's so much more to British food and it's not as bad as, as their unfortunate experiences were. I'd like to let you know that we now have an official app released for the British English podcast. You can now listen to this podcast on the new app and get all of the learning resources along with it. And for those of you who are just listening on your favourite podcast app, then I've got a present for you. Download the app, sign up to the course called Free Podcast Worksheets, and you will find every single episode available for you to listen to along with the free worksheet for that episode. A huge resource right there waiting for you to enjoy. So go download it right now at your app store, either by typing in BEP, BEP, or the British English Podcast. Links are also in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. I love, sorry, I love the fact that this just like, it sounds like it was an argument that came up in the pub and you've dedicated, I think, at least a couple of years and you've created yeah. over a hundred. How many videos now? About 160, 161, I think, to date. <laughs> yeah, episodes. I'm still on, on the journey of proving a point. <laughs> Have they sat down and said, mate, I get it. I get it. You've, you've made your point. So the thing is that I can see that they watch our content and also they follow us on Instagram. I can see that. So even it, no one said it to my face as of yet. However, I think by now, I, I think I've firmly made the point that there's, there's so much more to British cuisine than just two dishes, you know, give or take five or six on the channel that are my own, let's say, unique creations. The rest are, are British dishes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were those two that you often hear? You said, you know, we're known for those two dishes. Full, full English and fish and chips. Yeah. Without fail. Without fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair. 
<laughs> so let's see if a non-native came to the UK and they said, right, well, I'm here for a couple of days. I'd like you to prove your point. What do you think I should have? Uh, as in what they should go out and eat or I don't know what, what I would prepare for them. Or Let's go down both avenues separately. So let's imagine we're yeah. eating out in this case. So I'd take them to... That's a good question, actually, because... But there's another point of mine, actually. It's just that I, I'm not too aware of British, English, Welsh or Scottish uh, or Irish, for that matter, restaurant. Hmm. And the only place I can think of in London that I've been to, that I would say, would yeah, actually, I'd take them to, I think, Fine Dining Room, it's called. And that restaurant is an actual, it's a Michelin-star restaurant, but they specialize in pies and pastries. Mm. You'll get game pies, obviously Beef Wellington, and some other pies like that. But this is, you know, fine dining, Michelin-style restaurants. And, and it is English, at least for anyone visiting the UK. They'll get a proper taste of, and they'll actually see how passionate we are as the UK uh, when it comes to pies and pastries of, of that kind anyway. Yeah. So that, that would probably be somewhere that, that comes to mind. Yeah. So pie or pastry, and uh, what meal are we doing this for breakfast lunch or dinner this would be for dinner because it's, it's quite it's quite a heavy thing uh-huh. uh, personally I, I avoid heavy meals for lunch just because uh, then i'll feel quite lethargic afterwards <laughs> a bit sluggish yeah it'd probably be some, a nice dinner yeah i mean looking at your youtube channel you have so many dishes that i have never tried and i've never right. seen on a menu do you feel like the cuisine doesn't show up in the restaurants in the uk I'd say so. The few times I do find myself in a restaurant, because I'll be honest, I don't eat out that much. Well, why would you when you've got such a passion at home? <laughs> when I do, when I am out and I, oh yeah, for instance, when I am, let's say at a pub, because that's where you would typically find the more traditional British dishes. Some of the dishes on there, you do have things like pies, you do have, of course, fish and chips, you do have breakfasts of some sort, but the the rest of the menu tends to be kind of either an, an American a borrowed American dish or something that we've adopted from other countries. You know, it could be an Italian dish that's been anglicised or you know Thai or Southeast Asian dishes or something like that. That's what I typically find. So I'm I'm not surprised to hear you say that a lot of the dishes on the on the channel you haven't heard of. I was also I'm still on this learning curve of myself discovering all these dishes, and I I usually dive straight in because uh, I, I'm fascinated and want to try this dish. Apart from the fact of you know I want to prove a point as part of the motivation. Yeah, nice. It's interesting to hear. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we adopt a lot of other cuisines and we put it into our menus. What's the starting point for you when you when you try to think up a new video? Is it because you've you found a new food and you're like, right, I've got to make that? Or are you mm -hmm. deliberately searching for these dishes that have kind of been laid, been put aside and, and forgotten? Mm, it's never, uh, there's, there's several ways that I go about it. So at the stage that I'm at, we, uh, we often get requests from some of the people who are fans of the channel. So recently had a request for a gypsy tart. I'm not familiar with that at all. I've had to do some rudimentary basic research and something that I find interesting. Again, I've never tried it before. And so I'll do an episode, I'll do my research and I'll look up how other people have made it, see if 
I'm happy to make it the same way. Or if I see an area where it could be made better or tweaked or adapted, and and then I'll set about getting the ingredients and on on during the week or on a weekend I'll set up the lights, camera and film. Very nice. Okay, a gypsy tart. I've never heard of a gypsy tart before. Can you try to describe it for people unless they Yes. If they can't Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is very rudimentary research so far. I've only just made an ingredients list and based off of the ingredients list, the two main ingredients are muscovado sugar and evaporated milk so from the get-go you for those who are familiar with those two ingredients you will know this is going to be for individuals with the sweetest tooth the the filling which consists of those two ingredients will be it's going to be held in a short crust pastry there'll, there'll probably be eggs in there as well if i'm not mistaken it almost have the same similar consistency some sort of custard tart but as i said it'll be on the extreme end on the sweetness scale for sure very nice. I look forward to seeing it on the on the channel. Yeah. Uh, so gypsy tart. Okay. What's another uh, dish that you'd like to talk about that you've done? I just wanted to check in with you about something. Are you one of those language learners who often thinks? Am I actually making any progress with my English? Is what I'm doing to study actually working for me? Or am I just wasting my precious time here? Well, if you think this way, then I'd like to encourage you to take action on this. Imagine how much more motivated you would be to put time and effort into your English studies if you knew that every time you studied, you would be guaranteed to be making significant progress. How much more satisfying would that be? So what do we need to do in order to find more clarity around this issue? Well, tracking your progress is a wonderful way to show evidence of your language skills having actually improved. And to track progress, the first thing you need to do is understand what level you are currently at. If you haven't taken a level assessment recently, then I highly recommend using my free test that will instantly tell you your level of English. Once you know this, you can start tracking your progress, which comes in many forms based on personal preference and your level of English. But that's a conversation for another time. For now, though, make sure you check your level of English with my free level checker, which is available over on the British English slash freebies. That is the British English slash F R E E B I E S or find it in the show notes of this episode. This would probably be something else that uh, another sweet dish, probably my favorite if not one of. It's called lardy cake. Quite it's not too old and you know speaking from the perspective of someone from the UK that means not too old means around 200 years old. As the name suggests, it's a, it's a cake that has lard as the, the main ingredient, but it's sweet. So this is something that we're not used to. And uh, it, in, in essence, almost, it's akin to the American cinnamon roll because you, you make a yeasted dough, you roll it out um, into a massive rectangle and you cream sugar and lard together. And you spread the sugar and lard over this massive rolled out rectangle of dough and you roll it. Wow. And then you just 
arrange it in your tray and uh, you allow it to rise because it's yeasted to double in size and then, and then you bake it. And what you, what you get is, which shocked me, was the most amazing. What you end up with is a nice crust on top because what happens is a lot of the lard seeps out as it's, as it's cooking and forms this kind of caramel at the bottom. So when you cut it, when you cut a slice of it, you've got the ring, you've got the, that ring pattern because you rolled it. At, but on, on the underside, when you take a piece out, it's already glazed itself wow. on the underside. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And oh, and uh, before you roll it on top of that cream, uh, that creamed lard and sugar, you, you sprinkle some candied peel or dried fruits. So there, there are some, some raisins or fruits in there. And in, in, in the upper, it was so good that I've, I've been developing a, a modern recipe which will incorporate chocolate and nuts mm-hmm. and then that'll that'll really make it align that'll really align it with you know our modern preferences let's say yeah okay i hear you yeah i'm watching it now on on fast uh, like uh, double speed and it's it's amazing mm. to have you narrating your show yeah whilst i'm watching yeah. it it's fantastic <laughs> What an opportunity. Uh, yeah, very clear demonstration from both your video and from um, you talking through it there. So, yeah, that is Lardy Cake. And is there an interesting yeah. backstory to Lardy Cake or do you know much about yeah, that? So you, when you research these, do you do that? So I know a little bit about it. I know for one, um, the reason it, it, it came into existence was because it was developed by people who didn't have so much money that was why they use lard instead of butter mm-hmm. um that that was that was the main reason for it and you can imagine it what i recently learned is a lot of the leaven the modern leavening the leavening agents that we use things like um, baking powder and things like that they're quite modern when you go back in time you realize everything that was leavened um that was spongy incorporate had was yeasted everything sweet or savory and it just, uh, the thing is, I'm, I'm learning to appreciate because not only does the yeast, of course, leaven anything that it's in, it does add that aromatic element to it. And especially with that kind of cake, it's, it's just for me, fantastic and uh, delicious. Very nice. Yeah. It's amazing. Beautiful. Uh, so would, would you agree with the statement that you have a sweet tooth? Oh, I most definitely have a sweet tooth, <laughs> most, most definitely. And do you think that we are strongest in our desserts as a cuisine, mm. or would you push back on that? From time to time, you know, actually, I, I find myself on either end of the, from time to time, swaying from one side to the other. When it comes to, you know, heavy, hearty, rich, fulfilling meals, there's no doubt we've got them they've got bucket loads of them um, you know if it's just a typical sunday roast if it's a stew a casserole uh i've recently done a few like a, a steak and kidney pudding which took about four hours to prepare you've got to slow steam that in suet pudding so that is a very heavy hearty dish but it is delicious and so if i was to base my opinions based off of that i would say we're very strong in the savory fulfilling hearty winter dish category but then you know when i look at the more the things that I would describe as more elegant and refined, you know, our culture of tea drinking. I look at things like the Battenberg cake, which I've got on the channel. That was amazing to make and so rewarding for me anyway, when I finished it and I cut through it and you've got that cross section of 
you've got yeah you've got the Battenberg cake you've got coffee walnut cakes you've got all sorts of biscuits the most one of the most recent one was the brandy snap biscuits which I amended because they're not usually shaped like that but I I made them look like the Italian cannolis and then filled them with a brandy cream mm-hmm. again just mm-hmm. to make it appeal to the the uh, a wider audience and it was it was amazing so I would say I'd say I'd say we've got it all actually okay here we go here we go yeah we're the best of the best we've got it all baby i'd say we're up there with the french oh okay (laughs) the french are going to be spitting their Mm. champagne out at this okay uh let's go back to the battenberg cake so is there any interesting reason i i probably should know this the color the reason why it exists Yes. So the cake was a creation of the royal family patisserie chefs because it was to commemorate the union between Prince Albert and Princess, later Queen Victoria. Because Prince Albert descended from the Battenberg family. And so those the the colours of the cake are actually the colours of I believe his family crest. <gasps> wow! And so, of course, it, when I first learned about the cake, I did wonder why it had a Germanic name, and it's because of that influence from Prince Albert's side of the family, and it was adopted as a British cake to, uh, sy- to symbolise the union between the two. Yes, that, that's as I understand it. Yes, that's why. Love it, and that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah, it it's yes. not one of those cock and bull stories that you hear on a <laughs> yeah. forum that then you tell to your yeah. mate at the pub. That sounds legitimate. Yeah. yeah, even though I don't know, but yeah, the egg banjo. What's that? Ah, yes. So this is a term that we've kind of since dropped we just call it egg and bacon sani now you know uh, but the in the episode i explain where the name comes from and it simply comes from the fact that uh, when american and british soldiers fought together the british soldiers when they had this sandwich it would often be the case because of the yolk they would bite into it and it would spill over their clothing and so it was called a banjo because as they dust or try and scrape off the yoke that's spilled on the uniform, it looks like they're playing the banjo instrument. That's why it's called an egg and bacon banjo. <laughs> <laughs> I actually demonstrate it in the episode. Ah, brilliant. And sacrifice a white t-shirt uh, <laughs> just, just to demonstrate it, yeah. Oh, I've got to watch that. That's really funny. The banjo, yeah. Playing the banjo. That must mean that the banjo is more popular than any other string instrument then the the banjo (laughs) is the one that looks a bit like a guitar right no yeah it looks like a tambourine and uh, to me it looks like a tambourine and a guitar had uh (laughs) had a baby almost (laughs) that's exactly it yeah a tambourine with a guitar stick yeah exactly very nice i think it would be um remiss of me not to mention toad in the hole ah yes yeah what did uh well, the the journey that you went on making that video, was it an enjoyable one? And it was early on in your YouTube channel, so I imagine it was an obvious dish for you to go to. One thing I must mention is that a lot of these videos 
well, about 50% of the videos are actually made in the UK and 50 of them are made in, in Switzerland. So when at the beginning, when I was in Switzerland, when I was making videos there in Switzerland, I had to do dishes that required me to find it that required ingredients that were easy for me to get hold of in Switzerland. Toad in the hole being one of, you know, a dish that everyone knows and will have had at some point in their lives and the ease being able to get the ingredients, I just thought, yeah, it was it was a no-brainer. I'd just do it and then do a little, do some research as much because I try as much as I as possible to to do some research and add some context and some background to for the viewers as to where this dish originates from. But I don't want it to skew too much in the direction of history because this I want it to still be primarily a cooking channel. If if I do want to add more information, I can put that in the description of the, of the episode because I have to balance being aware of the fact that people do have a relatively short attention span. I have to just get straight to the point as soon as possible. Toad in the Hole. The name is quite strange. When I re- based off of the research I did, I learned that it just simply came out of just it was just a fun way of naming the dish. I've seen a lot of forums and a lot of discussions where people say yeah if you really back then the belief was that if you really really squinted your eyes and looked at the dish it looked like toads coming out of the hole (laughs) you know i thought to myself yeah i don't really see it (laughs) were you squinting when you were yeah i don't don't see it (laughs) but i'll I'll play along you know (laughs) but yeah that was that was a fun fun dish to make and yeah that was one of the early ones you mentioned then the thing is, I struggle now to watch some of the early ones because I wasn't as comfortable in front of the camera as perhaps I am now. Probably in the not too distant future, I will revisit some of those episodes and do them justice. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me say. I know what you mean. I, I have the same feeling when I look at my stuff. I feel like in a year's time, I'll also look at my stuff that I'm making now and I'll still cringe. But uh, I think it's yeah. a natural process. Yeah, there's loads and loads of dishes that I highly recommend everybody to go over to Brilliantly British, the YouTube channel, and check them out. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions that some of my students had for you, though. Mm. One of them was, um, what's up with mushy peas? My theory on this, I don't know too much about where the mushy peas were cooked. And mushy peas were the result of the mistake of leaving the peas on the stove for just far too long and it just happened to be something that was adopted or maybe it wasn't a mistake it was just that peas were often served with fish and chips and as the day went by they were always left on and so as a result they're, they're being served from this big pot and as a result they just keep cooking maybe at the beginning of the, of the service of when a shop opens they're fresh and they, they're not mashed but let's say by the time you're the last customer this thing is this pot has still been over the heat and it's yeah just, yeah you've got a, you a heavy-handed server and he's like bored yeah. of his job he's smashing the pot yeah. to bits and by the end of the day it's all soupy yeah yeah exactly and and i guess we just learn we've just become accustomed to it now it's just a no-brainer for, for many of us of course there are many people that don't like mm-hmm. it understandably just from visual appearance alone, it'll turn a lot of people off. But it's it's a strange one. Yeah. It's definitely quirky. Yeah, it is. And do you, I'm thinking of the other option that you can have with your chips, gravy. Would you have gravy with your chips? I don't have any objection to it per se. It's just, I don't want gravy with fish. 
personally, just where <laughs> I, I can see why you do it. Great. It's just, it's nice. It's a sauce. We do love our condiments in the UK. I don't object to it. I mean, the other alternative is curry sauce, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Excuse me. I've never had curry sauce. I've always opted for mushy peas and tartare. Uh-huh. Tartare sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Condiments. Yeah. You mentioned condiments. Let's go in that direction. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you feel like the Brits are proud of their condiments? Yeah, well, I think we are. And we've, we've got a fair few, some of which are on the channel. And we've got brown sauce, which I've had brown sauce throughout my life. There's always brown sauce in the cupboard or the fridge. However, when I did find out how the original brown sauce was made, the vast array of ingredients that it originally consisted of, I was, I was quite surprised. I mean, at least six spices. You've got eight maybe even 10 individual ingredients you've got apples and things like that in their dates and it's just a very complex condiment and and when i did make it it's just so much more it just has so much more depth than the the stuff that you would get than the typical hp sauce you'd get in the supermarket and not to mention the fact that because it's quite acidic you can just put it in a glass jar you don't have to put it in the fridge and you can just put it in the back of the cupboard and eat away at it gradually and as time goes by it's maturing what, and gets without better. without any food <laughs> not me personally <laughs> and never have too much mustard oh. <laughs> i've seen people do that with peanut butter <laughs> but i wouldn't do that with brown sauce personally wow i didn't know that it was such a complex sauce and are you saying that the hp sauce is a watered down version of that or just a less complex version Less complex, and that'll be the result of you know reduced cost. Because I, when I think about it, if HP sauce did consist of all those ingredients from scratch, it would cost a lot more than it than it does, and that probably put a lot of people off. So primarily, of course, they want to sell. So they've, I guess, they've found substitutes. It's just when you have the original and you have that, you can just immediately taste the difference. Yeah, and HP stands for Houses of Parliament, right? Yes, it does. And is there a reason why it, was it made in the Houses of Parliament for members of the Parliament? Do you know? I th- I'm not sure. Actually, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I'd actually have to look that up myself now. I never actually questioned that. Yeah, why? Because they're very proud of it. They've got it on the label, haven't they? Yes, that's the thing. I wasn't so sure about calling it HP sauce on the channel just because I didn't know if it would infringe on anything. So I just called it brown sauce. Uh-huh. And so as a result of being swept up in calling it brown sauce i didn't think to look into why it's called houses of parliament hp sauce yeah that makes sense so another question from another student changed it a little bit but it's still got the crux of the message in it do you think british cuisine is in fact on par with food from other countries i mean you've mentioned it a little bit but i'd like to go a bit deeper Mm. do you think it is i'd say yes given that i'm a hundred and 60 maybe 60 plus episodes in and you're um, not running out oh no not by no the backlog is ever growing wow but can i just challenge you to name 10 dishes right now you'll have ecclefec and tarts (laughs) you'll have yorkshire curd tarts you'll have uh, of course the classic uh roast you'll have shropshire pancakes you'll have cornish pasties scones clotted cream steak and kidney pudding fisherman's pie omelette arnold bennett ding 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 it's 10 you, you, you got 10 wow yeah 
There we go. That's a, a little snippet of how varied the dishes are on your channel yes. and, and how varied the British cuisine is. Nice. Yes. Uh, okay, so yeah, carrying on. You think that there's just an insane amount out there that we can continue to discover that you are doing so. Yes. And the quality is there, would you say? The quality is definitely there. As, as always, uh, you, can, you can have an amazing recipe, of course, but it comes down to the amount of effort the individual is willing to put in and you know, the passion as well. So you can, <laughs> you can make a, a, a dog's breakfast of, of a classic meal. You, know, you can attempt a beef wellington, which is a very prestigious, elegant dish. But if, you, if perhaps one doesn't have the ability to make it, neither wants to put in the time then of course it turns out it, it can very easily turn out to be something quite underwhelming this is what i'm realizing things like um sticky toffee pudding there are two of them on the on the channel both of them i did my research and found out there was a classic version of the dish and the simple changes of just the, the mold used so that when you take it off it just has a much more astonishing shape and look to it and that that's enough to lift it because the flavor and the texture no one at least that i'm aware of will, will have a dish like that or many of the dishes on the channel and especially when they're prepared properly unless it's of course a quite an acquired taste uh, well yeah I, I think they'll enjoy them what i'm learning is that a lot of the british dishes are influenced by germanic french cultures and it, it goes without saying that the french are very good at advertising their food I think that that's that's one of their strengths, actually, because again, I, I will reiterate the fact I think British food is just as good. Yeah, as I feel like there's a, there's a cuisine. I feel food. like there's a dig in that comment. They're very good at advertising it. <laughs> they are, they are, and that's not to take. They they're very good at advertising it. It's not to take away from the fact that their dishes are delicious. I feel in the UK, perhaps that's an area where we're lacking, where we we don't shout about our dishes as much because when i often from time to time when time allows i do have guests over and without fail i will always cook something british for them just because i'm sure they they haven't had it before so when i was when i first started dating my fiance her parents uh, are polish she's she's polish i made a cottage pie right and they they'd never they'd never heard of that before hmm. and they loved it it, it became a family favorite my fiance's mother learned how to make it themselves and um yeah, it was. She loved it, but they had no idea. Again, they just knew just fish and chips and for English breakfast, and so it just comes down to the preparation and just introducing people to to some of these dishes and even a few pies I've made for them, as in actual encased pastry pies. And again, they they loved wow. it. Wow. Apologies um, for blanking there, but did you say that your fiance's family are British? Polish. They're Polish. They're Polish. Okay, so yes. that makes sense. The cottage pie was unknown to them. I was going to say, yeah. if they're British, they probably were force-fed that <laughs> before the age of five. Yeah, cottage pie is very nice. What does my mum make? Shepherd's pie. She likes a shepherd's pie. Do you like? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. Often confused with cottage pie. Yeah. Of course. What is the difference again? So shepherd's pie is called shepherd's pie because of the lamb. So that's associated with. Yes, the mean shepherd killing his animals that yeah. he's looking after <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> keep an eye on them don't kill them yeah yeah <laughs> okay so i think that's all we've got time for for part one we're going to do a couple more yeah. parts if you don't mind and we'll get back to uh, the condiments as well 
But uh, I'd like to go into your personal favourites and maybe talk about some more desserts and mains as well. But yeah, thank you very much. If you could just say goodbye to the part one listeners who are the public listeners and then um, we'll say say hello to the premium and academy members in part two and three but yeah thank you very much for being on part one so far Lawrence thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure I'll put your details in the show notes but basically YouTube brilliantly British We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the Academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. <laughs>